This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Welcome back to the Wall Street Coach with Kim Ann Curtin and Lucas Peterson. Uh, so good to be back, guys. Uh, Going to try to record two of these a month. So uh, I'm excited to be here again with my sidekick, Lucas. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit of everything today. Uh, we're going to certainly talk about the election results. Uh, we're going to Lucas comes armed with some information about how the markets have done in the past with uh, different presidents uh, over the past hundred years. So that's going to be interesting. I'm very curious to learn more about that. And we're also going to talk about uh, a teacher of mine, Byron Katie, who is the author of a book called Loving What Is. And I'm going to speak to why I think that's a really good book right now. Of wherever you sit, red or blue, to consider. Uh, it's not a political book. It's a book really about how to cope with things that may be hard to be with. So we'll talk about that a little bit in this episode and maybe some other things too. We never know what we're going to talk about yeah. completely, right, Lucas? Who knows what's going to pop up? But Who I'm, knows? I'm sure there's something. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have we're going to have a, a, a variety of topics, I think, in as usual. And also, you know, you guys put in the comments box what you want us to talk about, what you'd like to see more of, or you know, have me take on. Uh, so we have some, you know, make sure we're responding to what your needs are. So, how are you doing today, Lucas? Yeah. I am doing very well. Um, it was a, a, a fun, fun couple. Well, this week in general has been pretty good for um, as far as trading goes for me. So that it's always, you know, congratulations, better, but, congratulations. Yeah. But once again, it's a, uh, it's a uh, place of neutrality. It's hard yes. not to like when, when it's going well to just be like, oh yeah, it's going well. It's going well. <laughs> totally. It's, e it's easy to like get all caught up in the, in the winds. I think uh, the winds are the, you know, probably everybody's favorite part. So yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We recorded yeah. a steady trade podcast uh, a little earlier today and uh, we didn't quite start on time. We were just too busy chatting and then catching up. So <laughs> I, I feel a little behind the eight ball now with the rest of the day, but it was a good conversation and informative all the time. Tim Bowen teaches me a lot. So does Steven Johnson. And a shout out to both of them yeah. for, you know, the education they have laid upon me because it's just, you know, lots of experience. They both have a lot of experience. And so I'm always being educated in every conversation, even about bad, bad movies yeah. to watch like Rhoda House, which is one of Tim Bowen's <laughs> favorite, terrible, good movies. And so. Oh, man. I never had I've brothers, got a lot of so I feel movies I can recommend as well. I bet, I bet you do. I bet you do. I, I feel like they're the brothers they're I never involved. had. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what what your your movies are probably what? Uh, maybe a little more um, modern, new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying 80, we're I don't old? Know, are you saying we're old? <laughs> Nothing about old. you, Kim. I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> I'm old. Tim Bowen's not that old. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> uh, 
Well, cool. So, let's, uh, you want to yeah, jump let's, in? Let's jump in. Tell, yeah. tell me about the stats you found. You know, uh, let's speak to when we're recording this. So it's November 11th, which is Veterans yeah. Day today, Wednesday, November 11th. And, you know, before we jump in, I'll just do a shout out to the veterans. You know, uh, I, I really have so much respect for veterans and I feel that uh, they don't usually get acknowledged uh, as powerfully as I wish they did because of the sacrifice that they do uh, give to us, have given to us, continue to give to us. So um, I just, you know, want to give a, you know, big shout out to them. Thank you for, you know, all that you do for us every day and have done. And, and, you know, I'm still to this day kind of baffled that veterans aren't better taken care of by our country and by our government. I feel like it's the ultimate sacrifice. And if, if you give your health or well-being over to the United States, we should treat you like gold for the rest of your yeah. days on earth. And uh, that just to me seems really kind of a cruel uh cruel thing to do so anyway to all the veterans out there thank you i salute you yes thank you very much um okay well we can uh so the first uh, the the biggest statistics that i wanted to talk about are yeah. around the um i guess just the top five um what the market has done as far as we'll just go over the uh, yeah. dow jones uh, over the past hundred years um and so the top five uh presidents that are the market that has performed the best with the top five presidents were uh, Ronald Reagan, not a huge surprise there from uh, probably everyone who is knowledgeable of the last 50 years of um, the economy. And then number four is Barack Obama, um, Democrat, uh, just recently. And then we have number three, Franklin Roosevelt, and he was also a Democrat. Um, then number two, is Bill Clinton, uh, and obviously a Democrat. Think what you want of him, but uh, the economy did pretty well with him there. And then number one was Calvin Coolidge. Um, And the interesting part about Calvin Coolidge, he's a Republican, but I find the interesting part was he was right before um, Black Tuesday. Uh, So that, yeah, Uh, so I mean, that could be that was a, just a natural correction that happened but it's interesting right. that you know after he left office that that's when it happened i didn't realize coolidge was in office and left right before black tuesday you think <laughs> there's probably some people out there since so many people are living so long now that you know i, I mean there are a couple of like what 102 year olds that i saw going to the polls so there are people who sure. probably are some out there who remember it uh, and I think it's a cautionary tale and probably good to to be in tune to that, because I do think right now, especially young people or new traders, you know, they're experiencing that the market only goes up, you know, and we've already had some corrections mm-hmm. this week. Right. I saw Howard Lindzen put out a tweet about Zoom going down. And what was the other one? He said something else uh, had gone down uh, that was only going oh, up this know. whole time. I can't, I can't remember what the other oh, one was. Pe- well, the one thing that I've noticed is um, like Peloton and uh, Nautilus, like yeah. home workout equipment, uh, those had both dropped as soon as, what was it, yesterday or two days ago, whenever the like uh, vaccine news came out. Yes. Uh, those yes. both dropped heavily. Yes. yes. 
But it was interesting. We, you know, we talked on the Study Trade podcast today a little bit about, you know, how Pfizer it really was just a press release. You know, it's just yeah. just a press release, and uh, and yeah. press releases are not the same as having the actual. <laughs> and we also talked about yeah. how the CEO That's... sold a lot of his stock. The day the, that. Oh, really? Yes, like sixty-two percent of it. Interesting. So you know. Whoa. Yeah. So Tim said, spoke to that because he knew that would get me all heated up over the lack of conscious capitalism on display. <laughs> and uh, I was like yeah. horrified to hear that news. Um, but yeah, so so one of the books, though, if we come full circle around the election and about Biden winning, uh, you know, or projected winning right now, uh, and I say projected because I know, you know, there's still this official uh, happening that, it ha you know, that it has to be, verified but the point is i know that there's i was kind of shocked at how divided the country was when i saw that map not not shocked but just you know it, i guess further uh in awe of how different the country stands like we we really are split in in a lot of ways uh right down the middle and the first thing i could think of was how more than ever, we need to consider some of what uh, Jonathan Haidt wrote in his book, The Righteous Minds, one of my favorite uh, books, to try to understand how somebody can politically see so different from you. And one of the quotes, I, you know, I was revisiting the book and what I'm looking for now, let's just see if I can get it up here. I put, I put the quote up. Uh, if you really want to change someone's mind on a moral or political matter, you'll need to see things from the person's angle as well as your own. And if you do truly see it the other person's way, deeply and intuitively, now, now see, hear the difference, guys. That doesn't say you have to agree. It just means can you truly see the other person's way, you may even find your own mind opening a little bit up in response. Empathy is an antidote, the antidote to righteousness. And he does say, while it's very difficult to empathize across a moral divide, which is what I do feel a lot of people right now feel is at stake, uh, it, empathy is that antidote. So I just thought we'd talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, and that book and why I think more than ever, this is really important for us to go forward with is this concept of how do we begin to listen more effectively to each other, more deeply to each other and uh, begin to create a little bit more empathy for those who we don't see eye to eye with. So I'll pause there and just see yeah. what you think about that. It's yeah, uh, I'm fascinated by that. That's it reminds me of um, in Chris Voss's book, um, mm -hmm. Never Split the Difference. He talks about uh, one of the ways to negotiate is to have he calls it tactical empathy, but ultimately he later on calls it what it is. And it's just empathy. It's yeah. just seeing the world. And he says exactly like you said, just seeing the world, how another person sees it. Yeah. And not you don't have to agree with it, but just yeah. understand it. And maybe it'll yeah. help you understand where other people are coming from. Yep. Step step into the shoes of that other person. And, you know, I, I think, you know, The Righteous Mind, the book is so 
helpful at being able to see that this is how we're built. Like, regardless of what po political perspective you have, each of us are built with a mind that has a tendency to lean towards self-righteousness, like getting so, being mm. so sure that our perspective is right, right? Then the name of the book is The Righteous Mind, because that is what we all come to the table with. So we each kind of like coming from this place of being so self-righteous in our position. And that's why we it keeps us from listening to each other or being able to imagine that perspective. Like, only only an idiot would have that perspective. And that's what you ultimately hear on both sides of the aisle in response to some of, you know, what put the put the blanket statement out there, whatever it is, and the side that doesn't agree with it will be like, that's so stupid. And that's your self-righteousness. That's your way you're built. Your mind is going to go to that default setting. And it takes energy and sustaining energy at that to pull back from that righteousness. Uh, even if you are so sure, you know, you have the right perspective. And I really think, I think this is such an important lesson, not just for having relationships with people that may see differently than you, but as a trader and as somebody who has to navigate life, like you, you are going to constantly come into contact with either other traders on the other side of your trade, what are they thinking? What is their motive? You have to be in tune to that uh, for you to be able to be really, you know, confident perhaps in the position you're taking and also just in life. I think we have to be um, really in tune to that. But I, but I think it asks a tremendous uh, amount of energy from us to potentially step into it. So, you know, consider reading that book, The Righteous Mind. It helps you understand at least how you're built. And then it also, I think, helps us understand the way everybody else is built and why, how we can like begin to have, you know, more perhaps patience or tolerance. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Kind of, kind of. Do you think it can also help um, with, with trading around? self-righteousness um and when you're entering a trade and questioning whether exactly you're seeing is the reality of it or what you believe you're seeing does that make yeah. sense yeah totally makes sense and i think that is i think that's part of why the ego can get really in a trader's way because the trader you know if if you're coming with the knowledge that your mind has a tendency to want to be right, your ego wants to be right, you can absolutely get all self-righteous with a trade. <laughs> and you can be like, oh, you know, I know what I'm doing, especially if you're coming off of wins, right? Physiologically, your body's even more primed to be like, I'm the master of the universe here. So absolutely. I think that it's like a caution, be cautious of as soon as you are so sure of yourself. And, and I know this is a delicate dance between confidence, uh, but, but confidence isn't the same mm. thing as a, a false sense of certainty. And I think it's the certainty as soon as you, you know, the, the phrase that keeps coming to me is when you believe you have the monopoly on truth, tolerance is hardly possible. And that's what I feel we're seeing right now in, uh, you know, the discord from both sides. There's a sense of certainty or a monopoly of truth. And I think in trades as well, you can be like, oh, of course it's going to do this. It's like, Really? Are there, aren't there possible factors that you have not included in your equation? And being confident is something you do want to get to as a trader, but you never want to fall into that place of certainty. 
I think that is yeah. the place where you, hubris is born. And that's probably when you're in the most potential danger. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you, I wonder how, I guess this could, you could expand this to just about any business, right? I mean, absolutely. if you're- Any life, any relationship. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Right? We, we, we because figured we, it out. <laughs> we all think we've got it figured out. And our brain wants to think it's figured it out, right? Because it wants the cognitive, it wants the coast. It wants to go into autopilot, doesn't want to have to think, doesn't want to have to recreate the wheel. So it's coming from a place of like, oh, okay, how can I just get to my place of neutrality and uh, homeostasis, right? It, well, I can get there by just saying like, oh, of course I'm right. I've got this figured out. You know, I know what I'm doing, you know? And, and when those things yeah. get interrupted, you know, there's that sense of, oh, wait a minute. I don't like the way that feels to not be so certain. And so we want to, we're always kind of moving ourselves back to how can I be certain? Because it's a much more comfortable place to live. Like nobody wants to live in the in-between or the unknown. And yet, welcome to life. <laughs> life is all about uncertainty. And, you know, some yeah. clients are saying to me, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Trump's not leaving office. You know, this is uh, something bad going to happen. You know, like these are these are all understandable perspectives. And people are frustrated because they want certainty. And there is no certainty. So the, the question becomes, how do you become comfortable with the uncertainty? And uh, and then, you know, that probably will lead me down the road of talking a little bit about Byron Katie. Uh, but I'm going to pause before I do that to just close the loop on what we were just saying. So. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can jump into Byron Katie in a second. I was wondering also... Um, this might be a stretch, but if if the if you think of the um, like the House and the Senate and the presidency all as kind of question questioning each other, yeah, um, that then it's it, it does tend to be and the markets tend to do better um, a little bit better when there's a divided government. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if that's part of it is like the the questioning of each other so that there's um, it kind of keeps things a little more balanced as opposed yep. to yeah for sure completely out of balance for sure for sure Which because is. because it's very different perspectives so so you have people who are who have very different perspectives you know the, in, in crucial conversations which is you know a fantastic book and it's a course uh, they talk about the shared pool of meaning and that you know at the end of the day the people who are able to be the most effective in conversations are those who are contributing to the shared pool of meaning. But if you have, and this is part of why it's so, you have to be so careful on social media. Uh, social media caters to a very narrow pool of meaning. And that is why it's a bit of an echo chamber if you're only following people that believe the same things you believe or look at the world the same way you look at it, because your your pool of meaning, shared pool of meaning is so small that you're going to just yeah. hear your an echo chamber of what you already believe and think. And so the key is like, how do you contribute to the shared pool of meaning or listen to other perspectives in that shared pool so that you can see the perspectives of people and 
and you know, there's there's a meme going out on social media right now where you know a gal is saying to another gal, you know, you can have a different opinion than me about pizza toppings, but not about whether or not you know some very hot topic political issues, and yeah. uh, you know, and and that I think is a disservice because the point is not not and I and I can appreciate certain topics. It's like it's just a no brainer like that they matter but if we don't allow people to you know really speak to what's going on for them then at the end of the day it's just going to be lip service people are just going to say what they think is politically correct so that they don't yeah. you know trigger anybody and you know they're con and they don't get canceled right you know cancel cult cancel culture which which also again i i i don't like the concept of cancel culture Yet, I also appreciate that there is this validity to you, you, you should have this sense of caution when you're talking in the public square about things that, you know, really are potentially uh, insensitive to people that are different than you. Yeah. So, so it's, it's this delicate dance and it's never going to be 100% balanced. It's never going to be 100% the, the the right way there is no right way it's it's all made up it's all made up right so yeah. you, you, it's like how do we begin to be in dialogue and really step into imagining what the world looks like from that person's perspective if you ultimately want mm -hmm. to change the foundation and the and the machine underneath you know the machine underneath yeah. because because these beliefs that people carry around that in my you know deep opinion are racist or sexist or put the label on it at the end of the day those are coming down generational generationally these have been in the the bloodline and the family and then the the family culture and the dynamic for so long that, that nobody even knows to question it you know i you know what story i think i'm yeah. going to just quickly reference this is such i think a perfect one to and and I know it sounds crazy that this could explain racism and why it's still here, but I think it really does the job. And I I got this story from uh, Landmark Education when I was doing the course, and it was a story of a uh, daughter, like the granddaughter, uh, asks, uh, you know, I, I guess she asked her mother first. The daughter asked the mother first. You know, why do you always cut the ends of the pot roast off before you put it in the pot, mom? And and the mom says, you know, I don't know, but my mother always did it that way. So she calls her mother and she's like, mom, every time you make a pot roast, you know, you always cut the ends off. So I've been cutting the ends off and my daughter's asking why and I'm not sure. And she's like, oh, you know, I don't know, but my mother always did that. So they go back three generations. Fortunately for this story, all these generations are still alive and they're able to call like the great grandmother and the great grandmother gets the call we're all realizing we all cut the ends off this pot roast and we none of us are sure why but grandma says you used to do that and the great grandmother says my pot was too small that's why she's yeah. cutting the ends off so here we've got four generations of women who are cutting the ends of the meat off not because it's necessary but because that great grandmother's pot was just not big enough to hold it. 
And, and that is what yeah. I believe. We don't even question it. Those women had no idea why they were cutting the ends of the pot roast off because it was just what their mother did. And that's what I guess I want to invite the audience to consider. Are there beliefs, are there perspectives that you yeah. are carrying around just because that's the way it was always done in your family, your bloodline, your culture, your religion, your political perspective, persuasion, like mm -hmm. question things, be curious, ask yourself, is this costly or is this really serving me and or the greater good of the world around me? That's the way, you know, yeah. you start to and, and be comfortable enough to come out of certainty, right? What there was an Eric, uh, Eric Seidel, the, the gentleman who taught chess to Maria Konnikova in the biggest bluff. He has a great quote in there that says, uh, less certainty, more curiosity. And I, you know, recently the uh, Beyond the Trades interviewed me and they asked me for a quote and I was really torn between that quote, which I really know is my <laughs> new favorite quote or the Rumi quote that I put forward. But I thought, wow, all of us need to practice less certainty, more curiosity. If, if yeah. ever we do in this environment. So that was a long riff, but. <laughs> but it, 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 I think it's so true. And I think one of the hardest parts is questioning ourselves. And I think that takes yeah. a lot of practice. Yeah. Um, what, what you were saying reminded me of uh, Brene Brown, who um, wrote, you know, Dare to Lead and Daring Greatly. Uh, on her podcast, I heard a while back, she said something around the idea of finding her blind spots. And mm -hmm. whenever she hears an idea and somebody says something and then she thinks to herself, Ooh, that seems too far. She says, she asks herself why, like, Ooh, why do I think that's too far? Why is that too out there? Wow. And I found that like, that was really eye opening for me because it was, there's so many things that I believe in that, you know, people say things and it's like, yeah, I don't know if we can do that. And then I'm like, but why, why do I yeah. feel that? Yeah, um, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant way of catching yourself to, from slipping into the default setting. That's the key. That's the yeah. key. Yeah. A friend of mine actually, he joined, and I'm so I'm so envious of his courage to do this. He joined a flat earth club because he realized, oh. he realized that he had so much judgment about that that he and and he was like, again, that default setting of like. You know, like, but, but he, it was, it was his experience of like, wow, I believe the earth is round, but can I really explain how I know that's true? Like, you know, and, and in that kind of conversation with people who are completely convinced the world is flat, like I thought, wow, that is just such a fascinating exercise. He didn't go in there to judge them or anything like that. He went in with curiosity around how his perspective, he didn't, he didn't really have like the vow, like he couldn't really defend why the world was round in a way that he felt was as effective as maybe it would be by the time he finished. I don't think he stayed in there for long, but the point is he was like, okay, okay. Good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I don't think he stayed there for long. <laughs> but that is interesting. Um, like, even if it's something you completely disagree with to have the curiosity and be open-minded enough to see it, like see both yeah. sides of it. Right. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think that's that's an interesting point. Uh, as long as you still keep in mind, like science. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> the key. You, you know, <laughs> you, you you do want to keep in mind science and facts, but we both know that science 
and facts can be twisted around. And yeah. I think the oh, key yeah. is like how how it's used, how it's presented. And, and this is also part of, I think, the cultural indoctrination of how schools have been built. You know, one of a very influential book for me yes. was a book by Seth Godin called Lynchpin, Are You Indispensable? And in that book, he talks about that the public school system was really created in service to being uh feeding the industrial revolution with employees that that the employees yeah. working on the farms right that they move it around thinking for themselves now they're in a factory it's not going so well uh the gin carts right he said there were gin carts that went up and down the factory aisles to keep everybody low-grade inebriated because they were losing their minds doing repetitive tasks indoors all day so that the concept of keeping everybody in line and just doing the same task over and over again, not thinking for themselves, uh, just surrendering to the authority. That was how the industrial revolution got off the ground. And so they thought, okay, we're seeing a decline in workers. How do we make sure we prepare people for this? Uh, and so his uh, book talks about the public school system was created. So it's cre it was created to create followers, if you will, sheep, factory workers, not leaders, not autonomous beings, sure. right? Even governments over the ages, kingdoms, like all of this was built because people ultimately, they wanted to keep us down. They wanted to tell us what to do. And either the church make us beholden or we're sinners that now we're under the authority of the church telling us we're okay or we're not, or the king who says we're okay, we're not, we're not. And then this public school system that tell rewards us for being like everybody else. Yeah, it's really interesting. But, and it, it, once again, it brings you back to question things, right? Question Correct. it and question Correct. why it's there. And Correct. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. You know, the one of my it's it, I I wonder sometimes the things that you know we see on TV when we're children, or like so there's somebody that as I as we're having this conversation that's coming to mind that you know is probably going to give away my age, but one of my favorite shows on television when I was a little girl was Columbo. I don't know if you've ever seen Columbo because you're so young, <laughs> Lucas. Did you ever see Columbo? I. I I saw I saw the reruns. You saw the reruns. Well, that counts. That counts. At least you know who I'm talking about. Seen, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Okay, so Columbo. It was a, like 1970s um, television show where the investigator Peter Falk. He always had a wrinkled uh, raincoat. His hair was a bit messed up. He smoked a cigar. Uh, he had one eye that was somewhat crossed. Like he just, he looked like a rumple <laughs> suit, you know, like total, his suit was always messy. He sometimes had mustard spills down his raincoat. Like he came across like a bumbling detective and yet he was a genius. And at the, it was an interesting show because the format was you saw the murderer who the murderer was at the start, you know, this detective show, you saw who committed the crime right at the beginning. And then the whole show was allowing you to watch, could that uh, criminal keep himself, you know, from getting caught by Columbo. So you knew as the viewer who, who the, you know, the bad guy was, so to speak. And the whole time Columbo did his shenanigans with the person who you knew as the viewer was the murderer, he played dumb. He played like he didn't know 
you know, he didn't know, right. He was still putting it all together, but his lack of ego, right. His willingness to look, to be underestimated is usually what contributed to the murderers uh, being caught because it, the murderer would be so confident and full of, you know, bravado and they would look at him spilling his mustard on his raincoat and they would look at him you know he'd leave he was famous for leaving the conversation and the murder would be like you know finally catching his breath right defending himself or lying or whatever and then Columbo would come back he's like I'm so sorry I, I just I forgot you know me my, my head it's not so straight I, I I forgot to just ask you one question and the genius behind that was because the, the, he, would, he would interrupt them thinking they were finally in the clear, right? So him playing dumb, him playing uncertain, him acting like he was a bumbling guy is actually what helped him solve. And that is somebody who's able to be comfortable with their mistakes or their, you know, potentially their stupidity. Like he didn't need to look like the hero in those moments yeah. with the murderer. And uh, so anyway, I just wonder how much that show, like he taught me how that being underestimated was actually a secret weapon. <laughs> that, that could be, that might be, that might be uh, one of your, your secret weapons. <laughs> it might be, it might be, I think it might be. I'm wondering if Columbo like unconsciously went into my bloodstream and taught me like, oh, I see you can catch the bad guy if you don't be all bravado. Like that might be the trick yeah. to a lot. And, you know, I mean, it was the show that I would like beg my mother. It was always on at 1230. It was the late, late show. So it was on at 1230 at night. So it was always, I think an hour and a half. So I would have to be like, please, can I go into school late tomorrow so I can watch Columbo? I think I only played like once a month or something on television. And I would usually <laughs> talk her into it, but she, you know, she followed the rules. So that was kind of remarkable. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of reminds me of um, another part of uh, the Chris Voss book is around his his one of his negotiation tactics is putting the other person in control of things and allowing yes. them to say no to things. Yes. Um, and so yes. it's, a, it's a similar thing, right? Like totally. he does it. I mean, he had to do it in a way that was manipulative. But I think there's a there's a certain sense of asking the questions in a way yeah. for people to feel like they're in control of the, the yep. situation or yep. well, if you're negotiating feel, or even they feel or, respect. They feel respected, yeah, like exactly. they get to have a vow, they get to put input into that shared pool of meeting. Yeah. And, and you and know, this, for him, uh, it's, it's a great, go ahead, you go. But, but the Voss thing, the Voss book, oh my God, if you guys haven't read the Chris Voss book, Never Split the Difference, co-authored by Tal yeah. Bras, my main man, he's the man who put the, yeah. he gave me a great testimonial on my book. So I'm a big fan of Tal Ross. not because he gave me a testimonial. <laughs> I'm a fan of him because he's a brilliant writer, but he, and, he, that book <laughs> and, and he liked yeah. my book, which made me feel really good and validated. But, but Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Differences, it's a game changer. Go ahead. What were you going to say about Voss? Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of uh, kind of like how we started the conversation around understanding other people's perspectives as well, but giving them the power to uh, let you fully acknowledge what their perspective is and fully yeah. share what their perspective is. Yeah. Um, and come at it a place from a place that isn't judgment, right? But understanding. Yeah, yep. totally. Like for Voss to be able to potentially be in a dialogue or negotiation with a hostage taker, like, you know, that's, 
that's a pretty like, you know, you think you're having a hard time talking to a Republican or a Democrat? Like, how about a hostage yeah, right? negotiator? <laughs> like, that's a hard conversation, people. And yet, though, yeah. I really believe his ability to succeed at that is because he was in a place of neutrality. So I invite you guys to try to go into the place of neutrality as you enter into these conversations try to see the perspective even if it's against your moral fiber to see the perspective that they have uh see if you can imagine you know one of the things we say in coaching if we say to a client imagine imagine seeing yourself that way or imagine that outcome and some people say i can't imagine and we'll say imagine imagining because it has, helps you go yeah. a little bit at a distance to even. Just like, what would it be like? Yeah. What would it be like to get to the point where you can imagine? Exactly. And then it's a small step up that ladder, right? Exactly. You got it. You got it. So it's, it, I think the heart of the matter is being, a, if you if you read Never Split the Difference and you see how I've lost, even in those conversations with people who have taken hostages, He's, if you, there's a couple of times I listened to that book, which I usually like to read over listening to books, but this book, I think I bought it and then I wanted to listen to it because I wanted to hear the nuance of his voice and how he was yeah. saying certain things. And when you hear him talking to these people who, have, you know, there was a bank robbery where there were hostages taken, uh, you hear the strength that he's conveying and confidence he has in himself, but you also hear the neutrality in which he's talking to that uh, person that has taken hostages and is, you know, the bank robber. You hear that that he is he is exemplifying respect, and that yeah. I believe the reason he's able to engage in that negotiation ultimately with the bank robber is because the bank robber begins to trust Voss. Now, yeah. Voss is, it, it works for the, for the police department, right? He worked for the FBI. Like, so clearly this guy is not on the side of the bank robber, but he's able to show respect. And that's the key. That's the key. How do you show respect even when you really don't agree with somebody? If, if, a, if a hostage negotiator can do it, people, we can do it too. We just have to learn the skill. Yeah, exactly. Was there, was there another book uh, you wanted to talk about? Yes. Byron like... Katie's book, Loving What Is. <laughs> yes. So, so some clients, yes. you know, tell, tell me about it. it. Some people are worried, you know, that something's going to happen, that Biden won't get in. Uh, some people are worried. Uh, some people feel, you know, that Trump should get in because of X, Y, Z. Like there, there's a whole bunch of people out there who I feel are kind of a little bit stressed. And uh, one of the suggestions I, I spoke to was what I learned through Byron Katie's work. Uh, and what she talks, her book is called Loving What Is. And she talks about how she was in a deep depression for many, many years. She wasn't able to kind of come up and out of it uh, until one day she kind of had this aha moment where she realized it was her resistance, her contraction to all that is that she was in resistance to it, and that's what was causing her pain that was what was causing her depression so she uh, mm. ultimately is an advocate for teaching people something called four questions uh, she also has a sheet called the judge your neighbor worksheet so the four questions that she poses which you know is it true can you absolutely absolutely know that it's true. 
uh, who would you be if you didn't believe it was true? And then she calls it the turnaround where you take, you know, a particular position and you reverse the statement of it. Like, you know, Joe shouldn't have done that to me to Joe should have done that to me. <laughs> and it just, the whole process is paradigm shifting. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, her, besides her book, her, her website is called the work com T-H-E-W-O-R-K.com. And on that website, you'll see the four questions sheet, which you can print up for free. All the materials are free on her website. But before you dive into the four questions, uh, it's strongly recommended that you do the judge your neighbor worksheet first, which allows you to take one specific uh, perspective that you have and put it down on paper uh, and pull it apart and really be able to see where are your judgments, where is it that you are standing on that specific issue and helps you pull all of the things that are kind of in the weeds about your uh, being so attached to a perspective. And then you take, after you do the judge your neighbor worksheet, you take that into the four questions. And, you know, she has videos on her website of her doing the four questions with clients. And I'll tell you, it is mesmerizing to watch, to see people come into a conversation with her absolutely adamant about a perspective. And by the time they're done with her, she's like cement golly with her ability to teach people how to shift their perspective on, I, I mean, it, it is the, the, I think it is the number one piece of work that if you are doing work on yourself, if you're moving yourself towards trying to be somebody awake and aware and conscious, uh, there's just no going there without this practice. So yeah, I'll stop there. Wow. Interesting. I have Got to read that book, apparently. <laughs> it, it is, you know, so challenging up against all the beliefs, you know, that you are pretty much married to. Like, we're married to our beliefs. We're married to our stories. Uh, and that, yeah. you know, I learned thanks to the Landmark uh, education course when I did Landmark Forum and Landmark, uh, you know, the advanced course, they basically said, you know, human beings are meaning making machines. We create meaning all the time and then we become attached yeah. to it, you know, and we, yeah. we like our stories. We hold on to them tight, you know, and uh, her work really upsets the apple cart <laughs> around all the beliefs we have, you know, it's yeah. quite, One quite opening, eye opening. Yeah. One of, one of the things that my wife and I do, um, which is nice that we're able to do this for each other. is like when we're, you know, feeling down or something, it's like, what, what story are you telling yourself? Cause sometimes, uh, like I'll forget to ask myself that, of course. but she'll ask me or uh, the same way. And it's like, oh yeah, it's really not what I'm saying to myself. Like I'm yeah. catastrophizing. Like we talked about yeah. how yeah. easy it is to get into that mental state of, because you, you just want to, right? Your brain doesn't want to do the actual work of seeing all the possibilities immediately. Yeah. It wants to, it sometimes it just jumps to worst case scenario. Yeah. And that's, and, that and is a story that you are presenting. For sure. For sure. And I think it's, it's part of our survivalist survival mentality. Like it, we are catastrophizing mm -hmm. is part of what kept us safe for many, many years, right? If we didn't prepare for the worst case scenario, then we were going to be shit out of luck. So I think it, the key is like how 
that has served us. That's part of the lizard brain that's gotten us to be at the top of the food chain. But then it just goes into overdrive sometimes if we don't yeah. pause and ask ourselves, what's the story we have ourselves attached yeah. to? And also on the flip side of that is the overconfidence, right? Yeah. So that's where, uh, once again, neutrality, you got to, yeah. because if you are in that state of mind where you, you are the God and there is no other way to see the world, that is when reality comes to humble you very quickly. And that can be really tough. It can be really tough for sure. For sure. And, and that's why, you know, I think a lot of these, you know, techniques that I'm an advocate of, you know, I, and even in my book that I talk about, I call them practices. You know, there are five practices. It's not like you get to do it and be done with it. It's, it's something you need to constantly practice and realize that you're going to practice it well on some days and not practice it so well on others. And to try to find, uh, you know, the, the phrase too, I like to give clients is when you notice that you're perhaps being triggered, when you notice that you are not in a practice that you would prefer to be utilizing, try to meet that with neutrality and say things like how fascinating you know, how fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I'm so in judgment over X, Y, Z right now. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Look at me, how sure I am of myself <laughs> or how, or how, yeah, or, or around how attachments, yeah. right. Or how fascinating that I'm so attached to this perspective. And if anybody says anything different, mm -hmm. I get totally triggered. How fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think part of the reason oh, yeah. we get so defensive is because we judge ourselves. Like if we catch ourselves feeling like the master mm -hmm. of the universe, or we catch ourselves feeling shitty about a decision we made or a trade we made, then we pile on and we shame ourselves. And so the key is how, how can you notice that you're in judgment and not judge the judgment? Quite the paradox. But it's well, a good question. I, I, I think it's <laughs> so important, right? It's not an oxymoron. It's a paradox. Like you have to, yeah. you, I think everything in our life is a practice. You yeah. can, unless you are training to win a gold medal and you win the gold medal, but then what, right? Yep. Like you have to have something that you're continually practicing. And like mindfulness is a lifelong practice. Everything is a lifelong practice, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, if you're on this earth, judgments and opinions will stay. You got it. Yeah. You got it. If you're six, if you're six feet above ground, you've got work to do. And you know, if, <laughs> if, if, if you're still alive, you got work to do. And the key here is just realizing that there's just, it's just about that leveling up by becoming more and more able to not be attached to the results and to be comfortable with what's so. And that's why her book is called Loving What Is. You know, she's not saying loving when so-and-so gets an office. She's saying loving what is right now. And that would be applicable to what, what could happen between now and, you know, perhaps Biden getting in. Like what, what could happen uh, tomorrow? Like, like when the doctor's office calls, like what could happen None of us know. So how do we learn how to live in that uncertainty and not be in a place of depression or frustration or anger? The only way there is the place of being able to be with what's so and not be attached to it having to be a certain way. The more you feel it has to be a certain way, 
the more disappointment you're going to bump into, the more pain and suffering and frustration. And it doesn't mean to not have hope and it doesn't mean to not plan and try to move in the direction that you desire. But, you know, what's our famous uh, John Lennon quote, right? Life, uh, you know, about uh, life happens when you're busy making other plans. Oh, other plans, yeah. Well, while you're talking, it made me, you reminded me of the Cheryl uh, Cheryl Crow uh, song yeah. lyric. Uh, what is it? The the uh, it's not loving what it's not having what you want. It's wanting what you've got. Yes. So yes. Now we're just quoting. Cheryl <laughs> <laughs> so, <so>. <laughs> Crow is worth worth quoting. <laughs> It's John great. Lennon and Cheryl Crow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they they both they both have some good heavy duty lyrics dropping dropping on us for sure. Well, you've yeah. got the guitar. Do you play that guitar? By the way, I've been wanting to ask you. Uh, yeah, I play the. That's my electric guitar. I don't play that one often. On the other wall is my acoustic guitar, and I play that one all the time wow, because that's awesome. the neighbor the neighbors don't like the electric guitar yeah. as much. <laughs> I imagine they don't. <laughs> they don't. That's so funny. When I was in high school and college, yeah. I didn't care, but now, yeah, I'm, now I've grown up. Now you're like, I might want to keep the neighbors from being too bad at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Smart. You're smart. That's what happens. We get older, <laughs> we get a little wiser. <laughs> that's, every day I try to get just, you know, maybe 1% wiser. That's, that's good. That's what there is. Isn't there a podcast? I think there's a podcast or there's yeah. some, somebody out there who 1% has something. Better, something like 1%, that. Yeah, 1% wiser, 1%. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting who you are, but there's somebody I feel like I've met recently whose podcast or Twitter handle is 1% better. And uh, just, oh, you know, that, that and, and it's probably a book too, right? Maybe that's where they got it yeah. from. It's just that constant gradual improvement, you know? And and I, I don't even want to call it improvement. I would just say 1% of like just becoming more aware and more awake yeah. and more, you know, conscious really. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so maybe we wrap it up there. I think we we've yeah. we've riffed for a long time today. We quoted a once, lot of books. We hit <laughs> a lot of books, a lot of music. A lot of music. Talked some politics. We talked some <laughs> politics. We talked we did talk work some, some trading talk. in there. We did work some trading in there. Sorry guys, we didn't talk a lot of trading today. But I think all of this lends itself to trading and lends itself to being able to step into neutrality. Uh, because at the end of the day, I think too, a lot of the times traders are taking all those expectations and desires into their trades. And that's part of why they can't really see it neutrally because they, they've got, you yeah. know, the fear driving them or the, 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 the ego, the greed, you know, driving them. And those are both yeah. places that are not allowing them to stay in neutrality. And that is, you know, why it's not going to go well. Yeah. It's also questioning how you trade and uh, what is working for you and why it's working for you and what yeah. is not. I mean, some people, you know, go along for a, a long amount of time and they're, they're doing well at it. And then all of a sudden they're just not. And like, yeah. and so they start going short and it works uh, or yeah. vice versa. And so yep. it's, that's another thing to keep in mind is yeah. there's so many ways to make money in the market and Correct. maybe just the way you're doing it right now is not the one that will work for you. So. Correct. But the more willing you are to not be uh, attached, right? If you're attached yeah. to the way you've always done it before, then it's going to be really hard for you to pivot when the market changes, the market environments change. And, and that's why yeah. it's so good to become a practitioner of neutrality, because then you're able to actually shift when it's appropriate. 
not because you shift willy-nilly all the time because you're not clear if your pattern's working, but at some point those patterns will need to shift because the market environment will change. Yeah. I think it's changing a little bit, at least this week. So how do you pivot or, or even step away for a period of time? It's really mm-hmm. hard if you're not in a place of neutrality. Sometimes that is the best just to come back at it with a completely like clear slate and you kind of forget for a minute what things are supposed to do or how you did them. Uh, You know, you obviously don't forget, but it takes you, you know, that five to 10 minutes to get back into your your habits. And so you remember like how you get to those habits or how you and build new habits around that. You got it. And you see it, you see it fresh. You see it clear without all the prejudice and uh, perspective previous perspectives that you used to look at, or, or maybe it's even appropriate for you to talk to somebody who has a very different strategy than you do to just see if you can look at the market through their eyes. Again, it's going to just make you even better in whatever perspective you're going to approach with, but you're understanding, oh, that's how they're looking at it. That potentially opens up new information for you. Uh, and that, you know, the Queen's Gambit is, uh, I've just completely binged on that series. Uh, I'm trying, who was yeah. it? Who I, was I've it watched, told me I about think, three episodes now. Did you? It's so good. Yeah, since you it's, told me about it like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's a very binge worthy. This is it's a binge worthy so series. Uh, yeah. I, I'm trying, I tried to, I had two friends like within days tell me to watch the Queen's Gambit. And I was like, all right. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, so deeply in the, the whole, you know, and part of what is so excellent about it's a, you know, professional chess player is she is constantly imagining what the other player can do, could do. And that's part of what I feel. Maybe the really excellent traders are successful at doing that, but I I can't imagine that that's not a quality. Being able to imagine what the person on the other side of your trade is about to do, going to do, thinking about doing, I imagine the really good traders are in tune to that, not only to their uh, style, but to the the style on the other end of it. Pattern. 100%. 100%. Yesterday, yeah, yesterday I was in uh, GTEC that was running for a terribly long time and I was like and I was going long on it and I just kept thinking like where are the shorts like are they getting squeezed or what like what is the top what is the top what is yeah. the top and so you're you have to be thinking that I think all the time is yeah. who's on the other side of this and then when it you know started coming down you like you can jump jump in as a short so it's a lot of fun I got I got my new there's my monitor so I got to get that plugged in my new monitor Tim so I'm very excited yeah thank you Bryce (laughs) Davis from Stocks to Trade who talked me into getting one of those bad boys because he was like yeah and Jamil Jamil also gave me uh the link to which one to get so uh, at least I won't lose my vision as I'm trying to look at the Stocks to Trade Uh, website, the, 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 the probes. So I'm excited. I'm excited. So, yeah. All right. So we'll close today's episode for the wall street coach. We'll wrap it up. Thank you guys for watching (laughs) us. Please give us comments, uh, about what topics you do want to see us address. And, uh, you know, if you like what you're hearing, you know, give us a thumbs up, give us a little love if you're listening. And I, I didn't really speak to people who were just listening the last time. So I, I, say hello to you guys today. If you're, if you're happy with what you're seeing here, please feel consider a five-star reading on uh, Apple. It does really make a difference, believe it or not, in the algorithm. So thank you for watching. Thank you, Lucas, for being with me today in this conversation.
even though it was quite all over the place. <laughs> but I have that's how, that's how they should be. <laughs> that's how they should be. Where we're just going to follow the, the one of the most famous podcasters in history, probably Joe Rogan, who always kind of has these little rants and goes all over the place. So <laughs> anyway, all right, guys, be well, take care of yourself, be safe out there. And as we say in Hawaii, ahui ho. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.